reflecting on what Katie was just sharing and also echoing what our announcements team shared, today we're celebrating service teams. My name is Lauren Cabrera, and I oversee community development and church service here on staff for the ARC. And we wanted to talk a little bit about why we celebrate service here. Our vision is sustained revival, and that manifests in a lot of ways, and a primary way means doing family, so that the things that we build can last. And so as people step into our house and choose into sonship, they're choosing into covenant relationship, and that means taking ownership of the house, taking ownership of the things that God is doing here. So with that said, I'm going to celebrate each service team that we have by first inviting the leaders of each service team to please come to the front. Come on. A few of our leads are out of town, but for the ones that are up here, we wanted to see their beautiful faces and honor them in very tangible ways. When I call your service team, if you are on that team, I want you to stand up, and then we'll be loving on your leader as well and loving on you. Please hold your applause until the very end. We have some words to speak over everyone. For altar ministry led by Lindsay Moriguchi. Lindsay is watching right now on the Periscope. You empower us to agree with God and what he is doing in some of the most intimate moments. Thank you, Altar Ministry. Jacqueline Chan, announcements team, please stand up. I see you. You empower us. You invite us and others into what we're building through your joy and genuine love. Thank you so much. Attendance team, please stand. Hey, I see you, Hubert. <laughs> Attendance, you empower us to steward our people and care for them well. Uh, house intercession led by Nancy. You all are our watchmen, agreeing with God and championing our victory through prayer. Child care, stand up. That's led by me. Yes, girl. Um, we get to care for our most precious possessions, that being our little ones. Children's ministry, uh, led by me and Christina Gerardo. You are raising up our children in the way that they should go. Thank you, Gabe. I see you. Thank you for standing up. Uh, facilities and safety, please stand up. Let's go. One of, one of your leaders is here at the front. That is Christina Lee. And Kayla Mills is keeping us safe at the back door. <laughs> Thank you. You steward our space, you protect our family, and we can be at peace to worship God together. Hospitality team, please stand up. Led by Elkin Wong. Elkin, hey. You make a way for our guests and attendees to experience our family love. Offering team, please stand up. Yeah, girl. 
Uh, Joseph can't be here right now, but I do want to say your team, you are trustworthy with our first fruits, and you empower us to give treasure to Jesus. So thank you. Sound team, stand up. Led by Corey Chen. Corey Chen. Sound, you capture and steward what the Lord is doing spiritually through the sound and praises of our voices and our leaders. Thank you. Slides and live stream team, please stand. Led by the amazing John Voiles. You help us connect and engage with God and with each other by making content visible, accessible, and memorable. Thank you. Okay, and worship team, where are you? Are they outside? There you guys are, Steve and Joy Yang, our leaders. You lead us in ministering to the Lord first and foremost. So thank you, worship team. Um, just on behalf of the house, what sons and daughters often do is both seen and unseen, and you have loved us in both seen and unseen ways, and today we celebrate you for all of it, your leaders and all of our teams. Thank you so much. I have one more person that we, wa we want to thank. That is Joel Kim. Joel oversees all of our Sunday operations for church service, all of our team lead details. We so appreciate you. Thank you, Joel. All right, you beautiful people can sit down and I'm gonna welcome our pastor, Ryan Longfield, up. Welcome everyone. Man, I'm having a good time together today. So uh, just for those of you who don't know what all of those people were doing and all those people were standing for, service teams are just the people that make Sundays happen. So that's not like everybody running the ministry and all the different events and things that we have going and the thing that make our family life rich. That's just to make Sunday happen. So there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that, that make the space for us conducive to worship and safe and, you know, all the different things that come together to make this thing happen. So thank you guys so much for the teams that just stood up. And I'm also going to talk about service today. And so I, I want to include everybody who serves in this house. That was not even close to everybody who has some part in this. And biblically, there's a, an interesting metaphor that's used for kind of bringing your gift or bringing your energy or bringing your service. And the, the metaphor that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians is the body. And he talks about, you know, like he talks about all the different components of the body. And he says, you know, one is an ear and one is a mouth and one is a hand. And, you know, <clears throat> the idea when you stand up here with all these different people is that it really does take all these different functions coming together just to put on a Sunday service, which is kind of crazy when you think about it like that. And the vision and mission of this church is sustained revival. That is like bringing the glory of God to earth, seeing his presence and his power manifested, made known amongst us in our city, in our workplaces, in our classrooms and beyond. And if it takes that kind of coordination for a Sunday service, it certainly takes us all coming together with our spiritual gifts, our natural gifts, our energies, our passions, 
to do what we're trying to do here as a church. And so I think this was a great kind of microcosm of the bigger thing that we have going on here, which we're really trying to, you know, it's not about me up here running this church. It's not about Suki. It's not about our glorious worship leaders. It's like, you know, even, even in that same passage by Paul, he talks about the, the most public people, those are the ones that kind of like obvious, obviously get praised, but it's the people that are behind the scenes that are most praiseworthy. In other words, we have to be most intentional about celebrating the people that are doing things behind the scenes because it's not about you, it's not about me. This is about the glory of Jesus. And so what we're trying to do here together is come together in humility, offer what we can together as a body, and as we work in unison, then we see impact in the world. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about service today, uh, since it's fitting with our overall Sunday. I'm going to take a deviation from our normal journey through Matthew. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm going to tear through some scriptures here, and I'm going to talk about service. Because when you think about service, it holds a very special place in the kingdom. When you think about service in Jesus' name or for Jesus' kingdom, it's not like it is in any other capacity. It's not like it is where you just kind of come and you show up and you do it for the sake of the community and, you, you know, and it does something good. Jesus talks about service in a very interesting way. He talks about it as loving God. When you, when you do service in the name of God and for his kingdom, it's one of the most tangible ways that you can love him. And I don't know about you, but this is something that I think about on and off time to time in, in my relationship with God as well as my relationship with my wife and my friends. But this last week, I was walking to work, and uh, the office that I go to is in not a great part of the city, and so I was kind of walking through, and intense life was happening uh, all around me and, uh, as I was walking to work, and I, was, I just found myself saying, like, Jesus, you've been so good to me. You, know, you have been so amazing to me in so many regards. What can I do to love you? What can I, what could I possibly tangibly do today and just in life to love you? And I don't know when the last time is that you like got before the Lord and intentionally asked him that question. It's a great question, um, if I do say so myself. (laughs) It's a really good question to have sitting back there in your arsenal. And um, this week, as I was kind of stewing on that, and I was thinking about intentionally loving the people closest to me, including God, I was coming home one day, and I was just like, what would Suki want right now? You know, like, uh, of, this isn't supposed to be like the, you know, oh, like, I'm watching a lot of um, Korean romantic dramedy, dramas these days. Yeah, I know, it's for real. And... And I told, I, <laughs> Nancy, this is supposed to be a safe space for me to confess things like this. This is very uncomfortable all of a sudden. But I, I leaned over to Suki today and I was like, I've cried more times today than I know what to do with. <laughs> and I'm thinking there might be a correlation here. It's like, more dramas, more crying. So maybe this is a fruit in my life of such things, but I was walking home, 
the peanut gallery is still going crazy over here. <laughs> but I was walking home this week, I was like on the BART, and I was like, you know, what are the things, just stopping and saying like, what are the things that I think Suki would, what would really like bless her, you know? And this particular time, so early in our relationship, she told me that she thought flowers were kind of cliche. And so she kind of knocked him down. I was like, yes, you know, like I never have to do this. And then over time, there's been little comments like, well, you know, if they, they happen sometimes, then they're not. And, yeah. And so I think in our 13 years, I've probably bought you flowers like three times. Yeah, like twice maybe. So I'm on my way home and I was just thinking like, she won't care about the flower. She won't ever like look at it again. But the thought of the flower will go a long way. And so I bought her a nice bottle of Moscato, I think it was. Or no, it was a Riesling, a nice dessert wine. And then I gave her a rose uh, this week. And I think it moved you a little bit. I hope. It's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, but, but I think, you know, like, whether I nailed it or whether I missed it, the, the, the thing behind that was, like, taking moments to stop and say, okay, what I know of this person, what does it look like for me to love this person incredibly well? And then there's other moments where I don't guess, right? Like, there's other moments with Suki. Actually, I just asked her recently. I asked her, I think a couple years ago, I was like, hey, if there was one thing that could be different about our life, like something that you could add or something that you could take away, like, what would it be? Right? And I think, like, that's my effort to take ownership over her happiness to some extent. Right? It's my effort to communicate, like, hey, I'm actively thinking about how I can bring joy into your life and how I can do things that will be impactful to you. And at that time, she said, uh, if there was some way that all the laundry could get done without me doing it, that would be amazing. I know, right? Like, this sounds awesome. So we solved that one, which was good. Um, And now I have a new one on my list that I'm trying trying to figure out actively that I got last week. But I think there's two components there. There's forecasting in the lives of the people that you know and you love. What does it look like for me to just love this person really well in a way that they can receive? And then I think there's another dimension, which is like be explicit and just ask. And I find that both of those are great things to incorporate into our life with Jesus and are great things to incorporate with the lives of those around us. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, there's one of the most famous verses in the Bible. There's this fancy religious leader who's trying to make things tricky and complex for Jesus. And they have something like, I can't remember, it's like 600 laws at this point that they're trying to follow as the, as the Jewish people of this pharisaical stream. And he comes to Jesus and he goes, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? So it's really complex for him, this whole life walking with God. And Jesus says back to him in verse 30, he says, love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. I just want to stop there. I had another moment in my prayer time this week where this, I had this occurrence, or this, this, um, 
this realization. If, if life was just about my happiness, it would be better for me to die. If life was just about our happiness, it would be, be much better for us who have received the forgiveness through Jesus' blood to just die. Because then we get to go be in heaven. And we'd be free of all of this stuff. All of the struggles, all of the faithless moments, all of, all of it. We'd be staring into the face of the one that we love and we'd be perfectly satisfied. And it, it left me thinking, what this life is about is loving God. Like we've been given a unique moment that will never be the same past this life that we have where we can make everything that we do, everything that we think about, everything that we say, all of our energies, all of our passions, all of our resources, everything move in a singular direction that is loving God. That's what this life is about. And that's what verse 30 here is saying. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Your heart is your passions. It's your emotions. It's the core of your being. With all of your soul, it's the deepest parts of your inner life. With all of your mind, your thoughts, your will, and all of your strength, your physical being, your emotional capacity going, and, and all, of, all channeled in this one direction of loving the Lord your God. That alone is like a moment worth just like stopping for, right? It, it's always challenging for all of us to say that. Because I think if, if we're honest, like for all of us, that's, we're not channeling everything that we are and everything that we have in this singular direction. The interesting thing for today in verse 31 that I wanted to follow it is, there's this interesting verse right after it that he says, the second is just like it. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. There is no commandment greater than these. It's kind of an interesting sentence in itself, right? These implies two, commandment implies one. But they're, they're kind of the same thing. And the reason why they're kind of the same thing is exactly what I was talking about earlier in the, in the service, which is how has the Lord expressed to us that we love him? It's by loving our neighbor as ourself. It's the equivalent of me going to Suki and saying, hey, like, how can I love you in a way that hits you just in that right spot? I'm not going to try to guess. I'm just going to ask you. And if we asked that question to God and said, Lord, what would it look like for me to just like, what's that part of your heart that just like really gets you, that like moves you? His answer would be, Loving your neighbor as yourself. And so I think when we're, when we're talking about something like service teams and we're celebrating the things that are going on up here, I think it, it feels like when we talk about that stuff that that's up here operating at this level and then we celebrate service teams and it's almost like kind of operating down here. You know, here's like the strategic, lofty, you know, fun yeah, that looks like changing the world or quitting my job and moving to Africa or whatever. 
And then there's like the realities of life, you know? And I think that that gap between what we envision the good version looking like and then kind of the realities of life version where you're like just washing dishes for your household or you're showing up at work and you're smiling at somebody when you walk in the door or you're on a Sunday service team and you faithfully lead worship every week or you're the person at the back of the room when somebody comes in and you have a big smile on your face. Like all of that is this. I think we need to remind ourselves from time to time that if you're doing this for Jesus, if you're doing this in faith, and I'll talk about what that means, if you're doing this to love God, all of it matters. It's kind of insane. Like, it takes something so trivial and so meaningless, like passing an offering bucket down the rows, and it puts a supernatural, eternal value to it, and it says, this now matters because this moves God because you're doing it for him and you're doing it for his kingdom. And all of a sudden, this thing had no meaning before, all of a sudden has eternal meaning. And our ability as Christians to walk a long-term life of laying down our lives for others has everything to do with our ability to connect what this is up here with what this is down here. The people that go the fieriest and go the longest way with God, the ones that, that, that endure and, and push through the finish line with passion and fire is because they're able to connect that the stuff that feels kind of trivial down here, if we do it in faith and we do it for him in love, there's nothing trivial anymore. All of a sudden, all of it has meaning. And I think like one expression of this is Sunday worship. You know, like, are we just in a sanctuary singing songs for 45 minutes? Or are we moving the heart of God? And your perspective on what you're doing in that 45 minutes changes the entire thing. Some people come in and it's like, man, worship was kind of long today. It's like 45 minutes plus communion. It's like, do you see how many people came down the aisle? And like, that was long. You know, like, there, there's a version of that that I'm familiar with. And then there's one where you have a renewed mind and you understand that this is not just a 45 minutes of meaningless act. This is a moment where we get to stop this crazy life. We get to step into a place of faith. We get to put all of our affection and our attention on the one who's worthy of it. And we get to worship together as a community and it actually moves him. It actually moves him. And our ability to connect, again, the trivial with the most grandiose thing that we could possibly imagine, like moving the heart of God, is so key to us staying fiery, staying connected to his burning passion for people. In fact, there's this interesting thing that happens in John chapter 15, one of my favorite passages of scripture. This church was actually kind of founded on it as a, as a fun, did you know that? Um, it talks all about like he's the vine, we're the branches. And the idea is that there's this life flow that's flowing through the vine and it goes through the branches and out to bear fruit. And if you disconnect yourself from the vine, you don't have any chance of that life flow, that life blood, that, that flow of life flowing through you out into the world. 
But later in the passage, what it talks about is, is Jesus says, if you do what I command you to do, you'll remain in my love. If you do what I command you to do, you'll remain in my love. If you read this with a broken lens, it feels like a highly conditional statement from Jesus where he's like, hey, if you love me really well, I'll love you really well. But if you don't love me really well, I'm like not going to really love you that well. Right? Like you can easily get there from that. It's like, hey, do what I tell you. And then maybe you'll have a shot at remaining in my love, right? There's, there's one version that looks like that. But what I realized this week is there, there is a thing where it's like, God, I want to love you with my life. And in that, I think you're going to love me back. Now, the interesting thing about this passage is it kind of hints at that, but it actually says something very different, which is if you love me, you're going to remain in my love. It's not the, I'll love you and you love me. It's the, you love me because that's the best way to stay in the love that I've already had for you. And what happens in this dynamic is he's always the initiator. He is always the first one. That's why it's remain in his love, not something that you get after you start loving. He is always the great initiator. So he's put you in a place of love. And the best way to stay in that place of love is to do his commandment. And what he says is his commandment is to lay down your life for each other. And the reason why I think that it's so key that we lay down our lives for each other in order to remain in his love is because if you think about this, if I said, um, I'm going to butcher this analogy, but if I went to Suki and I said, what's the best way that I can love you? And she said, you know what the best way you can love me is? It's to adore our children. That, when, now when I'm adoring our children, it's now connected to the love of my wife in a way that's really neat. I'm now operating in the flow of kind of like her love because her passion for our kids now is, if you want to love me well, love our children well. It's this, it's this kind of like almost circular thing where she and I are now in a different relationship because we're in this like, her heart is flowing through me towards our children. And I get to experience her heart and her passion for our children somewhat because of that dynamic. And that's exactly what God has invited us into. Like when you hear what it looks like to love me well is to love people, what does that tell you about the heart of God? That is one of the ultimate statements about God's burning heart for, in love for humanity that he tells anyone who wants to follow him and love him well, okay, you want to know what moves me the most? It's when you, do, when, you're, when you love all these people. There's only one reason why that would be the case. It's because his heart of love for humanity is so intense that he's going to do it directly and he's going to do it indirectly. And it's the most important commandment that he has. Yes, yes, yes. Make everything in your life about loving me. But guess what it looks like? It looks like joining me in my heart to love this world. And so we get to enter into the love and the passion and the, the pursuit of God's love flowing into this world as a branch tying into a vine where his love and his life force flows through us 
and we get the honor of loving the same things that he loves and giving our lives to those, knowing that it's moving his heart. In Galatians chapter 5, it says this. It says in verse 13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. So let's just stop there for a second. The call on your life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is to be free. The idea of being free is that there's no limitations being put on you that you can't do the things that you want to do. That's what it looks like to be free, right? Like if you're in prison, the reason prison sucks is because you really only have an ability to be physically, there's huge boundaries around what you can do. Now, freedom as a chief characteristic of the Christian life is a really interesting one because oftentimes it feels like, well, if I'm a Christian, then that's exactly what I can't do. I can't do the things that I want to do, right? And the idea of this is, is kind of interesting in that the, actually the, the pinnacle of the Christian life is that all of your wants and desires are holy and righteous. And so actually you get to fulfill every desire that you have because every desire that you have has been purified through this process that Jesus takes us through. And that's the type of freedom that's mentioned here, which is you will get to live a life where all of your desires are going exactly in the direction where I will empower you to live fully in. You want to be there, I want you to be there, and here's the power to be there. You want to do this, I want you to do this, and here's the power to do this. That's what the Christian life feels like over time as you partner with God to be conformed into his image. And so he says, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the things of the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. I'd like to just talk to us about kind of like the practical or the day-to-day -day of what this looks like. I think this becomes really problematic when it moves into a category that's something that's outside of our control. There's a good version in the Christian life of having pursuits in your life that are outside of your power to do so, right? I constantly, every time I get up here, I have a moment with God before I get up here and I say, I don't feel like I can do what you're calling me to do. I need you. That should be like the constant dialogue that we have with God through our entire life. We go to work and we're like, man, God, I really want to love you in my work today. I don't know, I, in fact, actually, I do know I don't have the power to do that well today. I need you to flow through me. I want to really be a great father. I really want to be a great student. I really want to be a great teacher. I really want to be a great parent. Whatever it is, if it's God, it'll probably be bigger than your control. And so I've found that the most anointed, powerful people that I know are the ones that are most aware of our own limitations. Because there's this constant invitation to God of like, I don't have what it needs. Now the good thing about this is, that's not really material because you're flowing through me. Right? Like my inability to do something becomes very uninteresting when faith is applied to it. My inability to do something is only interesting to the extent that faith is not applied to it, actually. 
And so more and more what we try to do is we try to enter into a place where we're doing the impossible things because God's life is flowing through us. But I think there's another version of faith because that's the obvious one. The other version of faith is that somehow as I do the trivial, he's going to make it supernatural. This is a different version of faith, but it has everything to do with our service because there's moments where we, like the little boy with loaves and fish, are standing in front of a crowd that's probably 10,000 strong, and we go, what the heck is, what the heck is my lunch going to do as I offer this as the thing that I'm offering to this community of people and to Jesus? Right? Jesus is standing there. He says to his disciples, feed the masses, and they go like, I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. How are we supposed to do that? And a little boy comes forward with a, with a box lunch and puts it at at Jesus' feet and says, like, does this help? You know? And the disciples are standing around saying, like, you kidding me? Like, what? Oh, either it was like, either it was like, oh, that's cute, you know? You know, or it was like, let the adults talk. Like, go away. But somehow, the little boy got it that the littlest thing that he could do put in the hands of Jesus was exactly sufficient for the need for what God wanted to do in that situation. And I think that this oftentimes is the the challenge of faith, even more so sometimes than the other one, which is, God, as I do the trivial, do you really rest on that and take it way beyond what I think this actually is? And The thing that I would obviously say to us today is that is exactly who God is. That is exactly who God is. There's so many examples biblically and there's so many examples in my life of where this happens. Peter gathers together about 100 people after Jesus' ascension and he says, hey guys, let's just hang out in this upper room because like God told us to and I don't know what's gonna happen but I'll do the leadership job of like trying to keep us together. And so he does this leadership job of kind of like trying to keep the crowd together and they're hanging out for 40 days and nothing happens. And on the 40th day, boom, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They start speaking in other tongues. 3,000 people are saved in a day. And what did this come out of? Kind of like Peter keeping some people in a room for 40 days and, you know, kind of preaching a sermon that God then translates as he's preaching it into every language that needs to be. This is how God works. And I think for a church like ours where we're saying, like, let's see the kingdom of God truly in power here in our midst. From the door person to the sound person to the slide person to the preacher to the worship leaders, we need to be in this place where we have an expectation of God that as I give my little, he makes it much. Because he rides and he moves on faith. And so there's no small job left. The person standing at the door, the posture that we need to have is, I'm in charge of welcoming people into the house of God today. That's that's a a significant role, and I'm going to crush this thing. Like, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to serve the Lord in this thing, and you watch, there's not going to be one person that gets by me that doesn't get like, 
a high five, a hug, and a huge smile. And then the faith thing, right? Like, that's the passion thing. And then the faith thing kicks in, and it's like, and God, and God, as I do this, can I trust that somehow each and every person would feel your love flowing through me in my eyes, in my words, in my embrace, whatever it is. There's nobody that walks through my doors today that doesn't feel your love through my small action. That's where the, the simple version turns into the profound. That's where we're not just a club anymore, right? We're not just a nonprofit, a, fi- a 501c3, <laughs> right? Like, all of a sudden, it turns into something that has kingdom power. Like, you're doing slides, and as you're pasting the scripture on there, you're like, God, as I paste this scripture on here, what I ask is this simple act, as we put it up on the screen, I pray that it would carry life and power as it goes off of that screen into people's eyes. God, as I go into my classroom and I'm exhausted and I'm teaching another class and I have undisciplined children, I invite you into this classroom, like move through me in power, make my small offering today into something that changes the world. Like that is God. That is service in his kingdom. And everything that we do from the big to the trivial, it all moves him when it's done in faith. So I just challenge us, like, actually, I don't know that I've ever done this before, but I actually want to take some time before we move on to not have this just be a sermon that we fly by and go like, that was a pretty good word, and like, and go on. But that we stop and we ask ourselves two questions. One, what does it look like for me to love God? So just stop. It's going to be awkward. You can close your eyes if you want, if that makes it less awkward for you. But we're going to take a minute and just ask the Lord, put a person on my heart, put a task on my heart, put a service position on my heart. There's so many ways that this could look. But Lord, what does it look like for me to love you exceedingly well right now? sell everything you own and give it to the poor or whether it was take somebody out to lunch or wash a couple dishes for the Lord's sake in your living situation just remember that this is this like nothing needs to be trivial and nothing needs to be meaningless And so, like, do it as an expression of the Lord. Do it with the vigor that you have by knowing that you're moving the heart of God as you do this thing for his glory and to love him. And then the second thing that I'd have us meditate on is what does it look like to do the thing in the biggest sense, like 
the thing that you find yourself spending your most time in. So if it's a student you're going to class, if it's a you know father, full-time stay-at-home father, it's hanging out with your kids all day and you know like doing that. Whatever it is that you find yourself doing, what does it look like for you to level up your faith that God will use you in that space to do something that's so far beyond your limited capacity to do something meaningful in that space? But that you stop, you recognize that, and you go, just because I'm unable doesn't mean that we aren't able. You know, like, that's like, that's the gateway to the fun part of the Christian life is you start to go like, oh yeah, like, I can't do this. I invite you to come. And so the second question that I just ask as we transition into our closing time of worship and prayer is, oh, and my wife, awesome, is what does it look like for you to do the thing that you do every day and the thing that you do for even this church in a way that carries supernatural power? that comes with a joyful anticipation of the thing that God will do through you as you invite him into the thing that you're putting your hand to. Suki Longfield, everyone. I was sitting there, I was like, my chance is going by. <laughs> Wait. Um, so kind of in the same vein, but kind of not. One of the things <laughs> I was sitting here thinking, I th- um, and I felt like the Lord was kind of speaking, was about the idea of love being um, concrete. <clears throat> I remember when I was a student, we used to talk. I'd have these conversations with people who really love Jesus, and they're like, God is teaching me how to love. God is teaching. I'm like, what is God doing these days? I'm learning how to love. And I'm like, so what does that mean? You know, and they have conflict with their roommates, and they're not doing their dishes. They don't pay their rent on time. They're a big, fat pain to talk to, right? But I'm learning how to love. And I'm like, Mm-mm-mm. right? <laughs> and I... I, one of the things that I, I like to talk a lot about when, we, when I meet with people is like, what's life-giving to you? But service is really interesting in the fact that actually that is not the key question. And I think that there are a lot of areas where God does care about what's life-giving to us. But there's this really interesting component called service. And I'm not talking about the part where you're like counseling someone or you're solving their problems. We're talking about like putting chairs away. We're talking about writing emails. We're talking about, I don't know, filling cups of water and signing up for stuff and washing your dishes. You know, like when we talk about parenting, we talk a lot about like, oh, you're going to change your kid's life. But really, if you boil down what it looks like on a day-to-day level, it's wiping a bum. It is putting kids in car seats, it's taking them to school. What does it look like to do an awesome job at work? It's reading emails, it's going to meetings, it's all that stuff. And does that look life-giving intrinsically? Not really. But how does the world go by? How does the church get built? How does love look active, concrete, practical? It's by doing all these things that don't seem life-giving. And so I really feel like when God says, how do you love me? And he says, it's by serving. It's 
because he's like, I'm not actually looking for some kind of abstract love. I'm actually saying tithe. I'm saying go to church. I'm saying, you know, go and wash your dishes and serve your roommates or your husband and your wife. Pick up your socks, right? <laughs> I, think I, st- I, I think I touched a nerve there for somebody, right? <laughs> but I mean, I think the thing is, you know, we really believe like, okay, come up, get prayer, get your, get your tongues on, right? Well, no, not that kind of tongue. How shoes? Yeah, whoa, shoes. Oh, shoes. Yes, yes. I don't even know what I said. Anyways, but I mean, like, get get prayer, get whatever. But then I think like in the concrete service is so powerful right like we have these crazy powerful moments of prayer and worship where we get to worship God but how has it come to pass it is enabled by tons of tiny little moments of service and people choosing to do things that do not seem overtly life-giving And so if we mark our definition by what is successful, by what we see as externally life-giving, we will be living incredibly narcissistic lives. And I don't think that that's what God is calling us to do. And so I really feel like in this act of service, appreciation, I really want to say thank you to every person from the moment, the people who are interceding on a day-to-day before they even get here on Sunday, to the people who are sending emails, to the people who are doing all sorts of things, texting, making sure the lights are on. I mean, for every single person, moment that we appreciate in the abstract in the spiritual there is thousands of little key points that God is very pleased with and that actually activate those things to happen and so we have to appreciate those moments and I think for the people who spend all their time doing that we don't spend enough time saying thank you And I think we need to say thank you. We need to recognize that those things are great and grand and eternal in the eyes of God. And when we do them, whether or not other people see them, God sees them, that they're important, that the Bible says that that is how God sees our love being manifest in real life. And so I just want to say thank you to everyone and encourage those who have done it and haven't gotten a thank you that God sees it, that the thanks is there, that it is there. Those things are important. And whether or not we see the fruit of those things by the, in the eyes of the people around us, they're seen in the eyes of our God. And so um, I just wanted to say that, and yeah, and so thank you. All right. Cool. Let's have the worship team come up. And as they come up, I'm going to give one last thing. I felt like there was someone in here who is going through a time where you've walked with God for a while and service or pouring out or something like that, it doesn't feel that life-giving right now in the biggest sense of the word. And I think one of the things that this church was built on is we used to have this thing. Actually, I don't know if we still do. I should probably know the answer to this. We used to have this thing where if you become a member of this church, you're not allowed to serve for six months. And the reason why, what's that? Yeah. So the reason why we did that is because we wanted to make sure that everybody who was coming into this church understood that they were valued by God and valued by this family for who they are, not what they give. 
And so when we're working really hard and we're pouring out our life, what we're not trying to do is earn our value and earn our stripes before God. And, you know, like this can get weird really fast. And so if there are people in that place where you need to know that in this church, we give people six months to just chill and la be lavished by God's love and be served by the community and not feel any obligation to step into that, I would say, hear me right now and say, feel that liberty to do that. It is far more important that you take a season to soak up the love of God and understand how crazy he is about you. Um, than to feel used by him or this community. So if you're in that place, uh, please feel the liberty to, uh, to enjoy God in that season. You guys ready to worship? Nice. You guys ready to worship? All right, let's stand up and worship Jesus. If you want some prayer, um, 